There are no stupid questions, just the stupid people who ask them. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where we seek to unravel the mysteries of personal finance. Join us as we help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. This is Solving the Financial Puzzle with certified financial planner, Dan Caprell. All right, now before you get upset at me at that quote, that's from a movie. I'm not even sure what movie it was from, but that one always stuck with me. I think it was Animal House, but anyway, welcome. I'm Dan Capril, and this is the Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast, where every month, if I don't take a month off like I did last month, we discuss matters of personal finance. And my goal is to show you that personal finance is not nearly as complicated as many people think it is. It's not nearly as complicated as the people in my industry, the financial services industry, try to make it out to be. It's actually quite simple. Once you accept the reality that the future is not predictable, and you also accept the reality that someday you will die. Those two simple realities, which a lot of people want to ignore, I think are what make financial planning and planning for your retirement very complicated. So in today's show, we're going to discuss the five questions, and none of them are stupid questions, by the way. In fact, smart people ask these questions of me all the time. But I'm going to take you through the five questions that I get the most from people. And it's often for people in my workshops, prospective clients, even neighbors will ask me these questions when they find out what I do for a living. And just an aside, I don't like to tell neighbors what I do for a living because instead of having a good time, invariably they start asking questions about personal finance and I end up working when I don't really want to. And often they expect me to work for free in situations such as that. So anyway, so we're going to get into those five questions. But before we do, today's disclaimer. Let's be real here, folks. Chances are, I don't know you. I've never met you. You are listening to a podcast given by a stranger. (laughs) Now, I may know you, and if I do, great, but if I'm not your financial advisor, then please don't take anything that I'm about to share with you as advice for you. Now, instead, treat it as educational information, and then explore on your own whether or not it's appropriate. Talk to your financial advisor. Now, if you don't have a financial advisor, or you'd like for me to be your financial advisor, that's great. Very simple how to do that. Easiest way is to schedule a 15-minute phone conversation with me. And in 15 minutes, we'll know if I'm going to be a good fit for you and vice versa. So the way you do that is you just go to talktodc.com. That's it. Talktodc.com. And when you do that, it will take you right to my schedule. And you'll be able to pick a day and time that's convenient for you and me. All right? So talktodc.com is how you find that out. Until then... Treat this as what it's meant to be, education, not direct financial advice for you. So we're going to get into these questions, questions that I get quite often from people. Again, it could be clients, it could be prospective clients, it could be students in my workshops, uh, it might be neighbors. And they're very common questions. I get them all the time, and that means that most people don't really know the answers to them. So I'm going to attempt to not only answer them, but to show you just how simple they really are. I'm also going to get into some of the mistakes people make when they try to answer them for themselves. So the number one question, without a doubt, and I probably should do these in reverse order, you know, what's the most common, but I'm going to take the most common one that I get. 
almost every week somebody asks me this question, which is, how do I know if I have enough to retire? Great question. Now, if you go back to past generations, like maybe your grandparents or parents maybe, that question was answered often very simply. A lot of times they worked for companies that had pension plans. And so when you reached a given age, say 65, you got a pension and then you filed your social security benefits and you put that together and that was the amount of money you were expected to live on through retirement. And maybe you had some savings, a lot of people did not. And for a lot of people that was adequate. That's where the old expression living on a fixed income comes from. But today it's not so simple. You see today, most people, not even close to most people have pension plans. Most people have 401ks, IRAs, 403bs. They don't have traditional pension plans. Now, if you do, fabulous. Consider yourself very fortunate. Now, you still have some decisions you need to make. But I'm going to, for the sake of this question, I'm going to assume you don't. I'm going to assume that you worked for a private company your whole life or, you know, publicly traded, but it wasn't a government. And when you retired, you had a 401k plan and that's it. And so now you've got this chunk of money sitting there and you're asking yourself, can I retire? How do I figure this out? All right, well, let's start with the most obvious one, which is how much money will you be getting in Social Security benefits? Now, there are many decisions you can make as to when you take Social Security, but for the sake of this exercise, let's assume that you're going to take it the day you stop working. Let's assume that's age 67, all right? Because for most people, that's your full retirement age. All right. And just an aside, we can have a whole show on Social Security, but anywhere between 62 and 67, you can activate that Social Security. The longer you wait, the more you will receive. But let's just assume for a second, the couple is retiring, age 67, I'm going to hang it up. And between me and my wife, I'm going to receive $4,000 a month total in Social Security benefits. When we die, we'll have the higher of the two checks. Let's make it simple. Let's assume we're both getting identical amounts. All right. That's $4,000 that are coming in for as long as you both shall live. Now, obviously, if that's enough money to meet all of your needs, you're fine. You could retire, theoretically. But for many people, just figuring out how much money they need is challenging. It bewilders them. They're really not sure because they never really tracked it. So one of the first things that we do with couples is we give them a little notebook. And in that little notebook, I ask them for one month to just record all of their expenses. How much money are you spending that month? And that will give us at least a starting point. Now, sometimes we can go back and look at bank records. and It doesn't matter. There's many approaches, but we have to have that number in order for me to answer that question. So let's assume we have a couple that is getting $4,000 a month. Now, that's roughly $50,000 a year from Social Security. All right. And to have that much in Social Security benefits, you would have to be contributing close to the max over the last, at least the last 10 years of working. So you probably are making at least $130,000 a year and your spouse is making about that same amount. All right. Again, just treat the numbers as examples. So $4,000 a month and that comes out to $50,000 a year. Well, let's assume that this particular couple felt they needed $100,000 a year to retire. So they're getting about 50 from Social Security. They need another $50,000 from their savings. All right, makes sense. If their savings is a million dollars, then they would have to pull out 5% a year to 
make up the difference, right? Pretty simple. The problem though is, is that a safe amount of money to pull out? I mean, if I have a million dollars and I pull out $50,000 a year, how long will it last? And will it last until you reach 107, in which case you probably won't outlive it? Or could it run out at age 81, 82, in which case you could outlive it? Now, answering that question isn't very easy because no one knows the rate of return you're going to get in the future. Now, you will read a lot of things in magazines where they'll tell you about the, what they call the rules of thumb. And I don't like rules of thumb. Rules of thumb basically say, well, you know, when you retire, you could safely take out 4% of your money every year and maintain that amount. So whatever it is, the beginning, you could have that amount and you could grow it every year for inflation. You probably won't run out of money. The problem with that is it has a lot of built-in assumptions that we rarely explore. For example, there's an assumption about inflation. How much will you need to increase it every year? There's an assumption about taxes. How much will that money be taxed as you pull it out? And there's certainly a huge assumption about returns. What rate of return are you going to get? And of course, you don't really know. Now, sadly, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, a lot of people, they try to minimize these, the, the uncertainty, or their advisors do, by recommending that they annuitize their savings. In other words, you take all of your money and you give it to an insurance company and in return for that, you receive an income stream for life. The problem with that approach is that's usually the way you get the lowest possible return. Because yeah, the insurance company does guarantee you a payment every month for life, but they have a pretty good idea how long you're gonna live. And interest rates right now are very low. So if you're an actuary for an insurance company, you're trying to price this so that when you make those payments, you never pay the investor more money than they gave you. And in the meantime, you can make money on the balance. That's the way that math is done. A better way, in my opinion, is to accept the reality that guarantees may not be the way to go and instead subject some of your savings to volatility, but do it in a way that it can't hurt you. Now, one of the simplest ways that we recommend clients do that is by adopting a bucket strategy. Imagine for a second, we take that million dollars and we break it up into three or four different buckets. In bucket A is going to be all the money this client is going to need over the next five years. So we already know they're getting roughly $50,000 a year from Social Security. So we don't have to worry about that. That's going to come automatically. But we also know that over the next five years, they're going to need roughly another $250,000 to supplement what they're getting from Social Security. All right. So we'll put that in bucket A, if you will. We'll call that the short-term bucket. Then we're going to look at the money that they're going to need between year six and years 15. And this amount of money will be at least that number that they need, in this case, $50,000 times 10, 500,000. So now we're up to $750,000 has been allocated. And then in the third bucket, we put the remaining $250,000. All right. The strategy now is to see if we can realistically develop a portfolio that is likely to give each bucket the return that it needs to grow and not run out of money prematurely. So for example, in the first bucket, we're not going to be very aggressive with that bucket because you're going to be needing it in the short run to take some risk with it, certainly. 
but you don't want to take a huge amounts of risk because if it suddenly dropped by say 40% of the value, you would exhaust that bucket in less than five years. So you may find yourself putting that bucket in uh, fixed income investments like bonds, maybe a little bit of stocks, dividend yielding stocks, but it's not going to get overly aggressive. In the middle bucket, that's where you're going to have more of a balance, more of a balance between stocks and bonds because you can afford some volatility. You don't need to tap into the money for another five years. The last bucket, the bucket that you'll need 15 years down the road, that's the bucket where you can afford to be more aggressive. And if you do that, you will have a much better chance of getting a higher rate of return and meeting all of your needs. Now, this is one of those areas where I have made it maybe sound a little too simple, but I wanted to give you a download that you can see how this strategy works. Understand that the buckets have to be filled properly. If you want too much money in the early years, more than the portfolio is likely to produce given historical rates of returns, well, you're going to probably run out of money. You're probably going to exhaust a bucket early. So take a look at this download that I've given you because I think it'll spell it out a lot more clearly. And more importantly, this is the type of analysis that my office does on a regular basis. We show clients how the buckets should be funded and more importantly, how the buckets should be invested. But again, the answer about do I have enough money, it depends on you. How much money do you need? Now there's a couple of other ways that we can structure an answer to this question. That is not as simple as to explain to you on a podcast, but I think again, when you look at the download that I presented to you, I think you'll find that it's a lot more clear than what a lot of people want to believe. Okay, question number two, how do I know if I'm properly diversified? All right, every portfolio, even CDs, have fluctuation in value, right? Everyone. Uh, if you're in stocks, you're gonna fluctuate. If you're in CDs, you're gonna fluctuate. You're not gonna fluctuate as much. The question here is, how much fluctuation can I afford to have? Unfortunately, the future is not predictable. What diversification done wisely will allow us to do is get the return that we need with less volatility. Sometimes I'll look at a person's portfolio and they may have, say, 500 stocks in their portfolio. They're putting all of it in the S&P 500 index fund. That's great. That is certainly a level of diversification that's greater than owning one stock. But that's not enough because there's going to be tremendous amount of volatility with that. What a lot of people don't realize is that historically, you could get the same rate of return that the S&P 500 has produced with almost half the volatility if you owned more than just one asset class. That would mean a combination of not only large stocks, but small stocks, international stocks, and fixed income instruments. What I do is I show the person what their volatility level is. So when we do an analysis for somebody, I show them statistically the level of volatility that they're likely to have. And then what I do is I show them an alternative mix of assets, if it exists, that historically has given the same level of return but with less volatility. And the biggest difference between those two is the level of diversification. So if you're working with an advisor, ask them, what is my standard deviation for my portfolio? How much volatility can I expect to have in any given year? 
if you can get the same long-term expected rate of return with less volatility statistically, you should seek it. And the way that you get it is by being more properly diversified. The third question I get a lot, how do I know if I have enough life insurance? All right, if you are retired, there's an excellent chance you don't need any life insurance. You really don't. Now, if the loss of your social security benefits are gonna create a real problem, all right, maybe that might be a reason for it. So the husband and wife are both getting $2,000 a month. One dies, suddenly now the other spouse only has $2,000. Maybe it makes sense to buy life insurance. However, sometimes the premiums are so great that it impairs the present lifestyle. For the most part, I don't recommend people who are retired go out and buy life insurance. I usually will only recommend it if they want to make sure they leave a certain amount of inheritance to their heirs. Now, if you're working though, this is a completely different issue. The correct answer is, look at how much money you're likely to make between now and your planned retirement age. So let's say someone makes $100,000 a year, 10 years, that's a million dollars. The question is, do you have enough life insurance that if you die tomorrow, that that money invested prudently could produce a million dollars over 10 years, $100,000 a year? What is the present value of your future earnings? And there's a calculation for that. I'm just gonna, let's say it's $800,000. So with interest, $800,000 properly invested would produce say $100,000 over 10 years. I haven't done that math. I'm just making this up as an example, all right? Well, the answer to that question would be, well, you probably need $800,000. If you're gonna work longer than 10 years, you're going to need more. Again, this calculation just never gets done for people. And it frustrates the heck out of me. Usually they don't have nearly as much life insurance as they need. Sometimes they have a little too much and that needs to be considered as well. Now, having too much isn't really a problem in most cases, as long as you can afford the premium and it's not impairing your lifestyle. But just understand that there is a way to calculate this. And too often people aren't getting it done properly. So ask your insurance person to calculate the present value of your future earnings. Your life insurance amount should match up to that. Number four, is the 401k the best way to save for retirement? And the answer is yes and no. Let's discuss. When you're young, it's a great vehicle because it lowers your taxes and in a lot of cases, maybe most cases even, your employer will match a percentage of your contribution. It's free money. That's great. As you get older though, unless you have a Roth 401k option, what happens is you continue to build up a nest egg that has never been taxed and you become extremely vulnerable to rising tax rates in the future. I like to create a level of balance with my clients between tax later money and tax never money. One of the best vehicles for that is the Roth 401k because you can put the maximum amount in it, but you're gonna be putting it in on an after tax basis. So depending on your age, you can put anywhere from roughly eighteen dollars to $25,000 in a Roth 401k. That money going forward will never be taxed. You paid the tax on the money going in, invest it wisely, it will never get taxed in the future. If you put it all in the traditional 401k, you won't pay the tax now, you will pay it later. Now, usually deferring taxation makes sense. However, what if tax rates rise? What if they rise dramatically in the future to meet the needs of the baby boomers? Well, if you haven't accounted for that, 
you don't really have as much money as you think you have. So if you're over age 50, it's really time for you to start having this discussion about maybe moving money from tax later to tax never. Now there's a cost for doing it. It's not just like you can flip a switch and everything's good and the IRS won't come for their share. They'll come for it. You have to do it wisely. There's a specific strategy for that and we do this with all of our clients. It's part of our retirement rescue plan. So if you've never had that type of analysis done and you'd like to have that analysis done, take advantage of this opportunity. Give my office a call. Again, it's very simple. Actually, the easiest, you can call my office, 513-563-7526. But the easiest way, quite frankly, is go to talktodc.com. Again, that's my initials, talktodc.com. Schedule a 15-minute consultation, and I'll be able to give you some insights, and we can discuss whether or not doing that type of work makes sense for you. If your advisor has never done that type of analysis for you, that's a problem. That would be like your doctor never checking your blood pressure make sure it gets done. A lot of advisors are just, well, a lot of them just sell products. They don't really do true planning. You need to have true planning done, particularly as you reach retirement. All right, the last question, the fifth most common question that I get, and actually this one could be number one now that I think about it, because I never actually surveyed these. These are just the ones that came to mind, is how will I know when the market will drop? And the answer, of course, is you never will. But if you adopt the bucket strategy that I explained earlier, you don't have to worry about it. Because as long as we can assume markets come back, and in our lifetime they always have, if the market drops dramatically, the money that you need in the short run shouldn't be in the market. You won't be affected by it. In fact, most of the money affected by the market will be the money that you might be using 10, 15 years down the road. You're never going to know what markets are going to do before they do it. Stop trying to find out. Every once in a while, I like to go to this little cigar lounge near my apartment. I know I shouldn't smoke cigars, and I don't smoke that many. But, you know, there aren't a whole lot of places where you can smoke them indoors. So I like to go in there. It's fun. It's a, it's a neat little place. It's right in downtown Cincinnati. And, you know, a lot of successful people will do what I do. They'll show up and they'll have a cigar, and you just hear them talking. And the questions are always around two things. The law, because a lot of lawyers go there. The courthouse is not very far away. Or the questions will be around what the market is going to do. And it scares me sometimes when I hear people speculating as if they really know. Look, you'll never know. As I say again and again on this show, the news is unpredictable. Markets react to news. Therefore, markets are unpredictable. All right, so those are the five most common questions that I get. I get them all the time. I've tried to give them to you in a very simple, basic approach, and I don't know how successful I really was in doing that. So that's why I've provided you with some additional downloads on this show. Now, the way you get the downloads, very simple. So if you're listening on iTunes right now, go to my company website, matsonandcapril.com, click on the podcast, and go to today's show. And today's show is called Stupid Questions, question mark. Click there. You'll see a summary of the show. But more importantly, you'll see some downloads that will discuss the strategies that I just laid out for you. So I appreciate you listening to this edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Again, if you ever want to talk, you can call my office 513-563-7526. Or even easier, go to talktodc.com. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. 
and be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of NPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.